Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. You know, I'm thankful that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, that God's grace is greater than our failures, that His grace is sufficient, that it's in our weakness, that He uh, is made strong. And I am excited as we begin to look toward walking through First uh, Peter. And uh, this morning, we originally had Teen Challenge that was going to be with us, and they had a, a schedule change. And so we are uh, going to be having them with us up in September. But as I was thinking about uh, just jumping into First Peter, I, I was reminded that there's some different things that come through our mind when we get mail. Uh, there's some different things that come through our mind when we get a letter. Uh, you know, I've got a box. Uh, Sherry and I started dating in 1995, and I still have a box of letters that are a treasure, right? And when you get a, a letter, right, that's handwritten, or you get a letter that's from somebody you know, somebody that uh, is uh, maybe somebody that's important to you, we treasure those things, right? We open them and we lean in uh, to the words that are written and maybe later we pull those back out and we read those again and we're like, oh, wow, that is incredible, right? And we see those kind of things. You know, sometimes we get email or we get maybe a, a letter in the mail and we see that it's part of some kind of mass communication and a lot of times we may not even open it. We try to figure out the motive behind it. What are they wanting to sell? What are they wanting to do? What, what's the purpose of this, um, this communication that has come? And as we think about jumping into First Peter, I want to take a day that we might look at the author of this letter. And there might be some things that we would glean that would say, you know what, I want to hear what this person has to say. I want to lean into the truth that comes here. And, and in First Peter, we're going to be encouraged to push through our problems, right? We're going to be encouraged uh, that, that in the midst of life, we're going to face difficulties. We're going to face suffering. Uh, we're going to be encouraged to push through our problems, to that, that our troubles are temporary. Isn't that good news to think that our troubles are temporary? Because some days uh, we can uh, walk through difficult times and it can be uh, overwhelming. But uh, Peter's going to remind us that our troubles are temporary. He's going to remind us uh, of those kind of things. He's going to remind us that as a people, uh, he, he's going to talk to us about being aliens, right? And I think about those little green Martians, right, that you see on cartoons or whatever, but he's going to say that the way God's people live in the midst of a culture is so different. He's going to say Christians are, are going to look so different, right, that they're going to stand out, and there's going to be two things that are going to stand out uh, that are going to make them look so different, and that's going to be hope and holiness, and those two things are going to make them look completely different in the midst of this culture. And before I want to listen to somebody tell me all those things, I want to see where is this writer coming from? Is he someone that I can relate to? Is he someone that we should lean into in these moments? So who's the writer? And when we read First Peter, we're going to see uh, it's going to be pretty easy for us, right? When we think about who's written uh, this book, who has written this letter, we're going to see that it's Peter. And he says, Peter, an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. That's as far as we're going to get in the actual letter uh, today. But Peter, of all the disciples, has a special place uh, in, in really in, in my heart, in my mind. Sometimes when I think about people in the Bible, uh, it can be difficult for me to relate to them. It can be difficult for me really to uh, connect with them. I think about them and I think about these uh, disciples. I think about people and sometimes I can think, you know what, these people are are so perfect, right? And they're, they're, they're easy to, to kind of look and say, well, I could probably never do any of that. But that's not what we read uh, when we read about Peter. When you think about Peter, Peter was all over the place. I want you to think in your mind about Peter and the stories that you know from Sunday school, the stories that you know uh, maybe from children's church. What are some things you think about when you think about uh, Peter? I was talking to uh, my kids yesterday, and, and as we were talking about that, the first thing that came to one of them's mind was when he walked on the water, right? And that's just an incredible story, right, where Peter's willing to get out of the boat. And we see uh, Peter sink in some of those moments, but we're like, you know what? I, I probably would have been with the rest of the guys just sitting back uh, watching, right? Maybe you think of his response uh, to the call to follow Jesus, right? We read uh, in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus is going by the Sea of Galilee, and he says these words to some fishermen, right? These professional uh, fishermen, it's their job, it's their livelihood, and Jesus looks at them, and he says something, and it, and it really is the foundation for our heart for discipleship and what takes place as we follow Christ, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we remember the verses, we remember the story, because in those moments, the impulsive Peter that always is just ready to go, and really, that's a characteristic of the Galilean people in that time. These are the kind of people that are saying, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll respond in this moment. And immediately, the scripture says, right in that moment, and that's God's call, that as we are called to follow him, that immediately we would respond. And scripture says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They left this, this lucrative business. They left this profitable fishing business that it's based in the city of Capernaum. And they leave uh, these things and they follow Jesus. And Jesus says, as you're following me, as we're doing life, he says, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you into something completely different. He said, you're going to no longer be Fishing for fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. This guy was an ordinary guy like us. He grew up and he had a job maybe that was close to home. He experienced emotions that we would have. His life was what maybe we would call normal until he met Jesus. And can I remind you that Jesus changes everything. Maybe that's what comes to your mind when you think about Peter, this thought of a man that was willing to leave his nets, to leave his livelihood, to leave all these things. We think very hard about leaving what is comfortable. But Peter, these disciples, they were willing to leave what's comfortable at the command of the master. And they began to follow Jesus right there. 
We think about Peter's decision-making sometimes, and it's almost funny uh, just to think about him, right? He's this emotional, really uh, easily uh, roused in a moment. In, in a moment, he is uh, someone that, that maybe has this appeal to adventure, and he's the kind of person that all of a sudden, after church, you're like, hey, you know what? Uh, I heard the skydiving places open back up. Let's go skydiving. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. Let's go. That, that's the kind of person that Peter is. He's the kind of person that would have done well uh, with a YouTube channel, right, because you never know what's going to happen in his life. And all of a sudden, people would, there would be so many people falling because they'd say, I wonder what in the world Peter is going to do uh, today. His decision-making at times, I don't know if you've got any middle school children or maybe you've had that. His uh, decision-making at times is like a middle school kid who's had a sleepover and comes home uh, with too much Mountain Dew and some chocolate, right? That's, that's the kind of decision-making sometimes that Peter would make. We see, maybe you remember how he came to Christ, right? He, he's, he's brought to Christ by his own brother, right? And, and it's this very simple form of evangelism. It's this very simple picture that one friend right, who knows Jesus, brings another friend to Jesus and introduces them, right? It's the most simple form of evangelism. He's given a new name by Jesus. Do you remember that? He, he was given a new name. We see uh, him referred to as Simon, and then Jesus calls him Cephas, right, or, or Petros. He gives him this name. It would mean rock, and he, he was part of this close circle of disciples. I want you to think about who it is that if you've only got two or three people, right, that you're going to really have in the, the closest parts of your life, right? These people that you're going to invite into every moment, your closest friends, the, this handful of people that you're going to spend the most time with. Peter was in that group. Apparently, this group closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples experienced things that others did not, such as when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, when we see these kind of things. Peter's a leader. He's someone that you look to and you see him as a leader among the disciples. He's that kind of person. He's a leader in the early church. We see him just do incredible things in uh, the book of Acts. We see him empowered by the Holy Spirit. He preaches with power. He, he was appointed uh, by Jesus. He was anointed by the Spirit of God, and he does incredible things. But when I think about Peter, when I think about Peter, I think about the day that I answered the call to preach. I think about a message that was given that day. I'd been wrestling with just sensing this calling that God had placed on my life. And every time I would think about what God was calling me to, I would say, God, you know. Like, I know you're God, so you know who I am. God, you know my failures, Lord. You know. God, you know how sinful I am. God, you know my past. And, Lord, you can't be calling me. And I was at a student camp. I'd left that week, and I prayed uh, that week that God would speak to my heart, and he had so many times, and I don't necessarily recommend putting fleeces out and doing all those kind of things, but in this moment, it was the final day of this student camp, and I'd gotten alone away from the kids for a long time, and I'd prayed, and I finally got on my face before God, and I said, God, if you'll make it so clear, God, if you'll paint it so clear, if you'll allow me, God, to, to, to just see that you're calling without doubt, I said, I'll 
I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I I just need to hear your voice. And I was so uh, beat up by my past, so beat up by uh, just the reality of my flesh and the potential that was in me. And I thought, you know what? There is no way that God could be calling me to preach. And I got uh, into the worship service that night, and the pastor that was preaching was kind of a gruff guy. He was real funny. and, And he says, I don't know who you are. That was how he started out his message. He said, I don't know who you are. And maybe that's the kind of message for today. I believe God has a a message for someone here today, maybe many of us, who maybe feel beat up by our past, who look at all the messes that we've made that feel like we're in some way that we have gone too far for his grace, right? And maybe there's some of you here that need to hear that same thing today that says, I don't know who you are, right? Teen Challenge was supposed to speak this morning, and my heart has stirred in such a way to this, and I don't know who you are, but he said, you're going to know who you are. And then he opens up this message and he said, I'm going to preach the the strangest camp message that I've ever preached. He said, I prepare my messages in advance. He said, I knew where I was going, but he said, I have no doubt that today God has stirred my heart and I'm supposed to preach this message. And he said, I don't know who it's for. He said, but you're going to know when I say it. And he said, the title of this message is this, how you know that you've been called to preach the gospel. He said, in called to ministry. And he began to preach. And he began to preach about this man named Peter. And he began to preach uh, about this disciple. And he read these verses in Matthew chapter 26. And then he said, but Peter said to him, and I want you to think about this moment. We're going to read a few of the verses that are coming up, but I want you to think about this moment. He said, Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, even though everyone else may fall away because of you, He said, I want you to know something, Jesus. You can know one thing. I will not fall away. These were the words that came from Peter. These were words that followed Jesus' prediction that that, that they would all fall away. Jesus says in verse 31 of Matthew 26, if you're following along in your your copy of God's word, he says this. Jesus, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, boy, this is good news right here. We're going to see this uh, if we can land this plane today. But he says, after I've been raised, he said, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, and this is the context, Peter looks at him and he says, "Uh, even though all may fall away. And what Peter basically was doing is he was looking at the rest of those disciples and he's probably thinking, yeah, the rest of those guys that wouldn't get out of the boat, the rest of those guys that weren't as brave as me, the rest of those guys, he said, they may fall away. It may be a reality that those disciples, that they fall away. But Jesus, even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. Now, Peter thought he was ready. Can you imagine uh, Jesus saying that? And, 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 and he's, he's sharing what's going to happen. And you can't fault Peter for his response in some ways, right? We don't, I mean, we'd have kind of been disappointed in Peter if he had said, everybody's going to fall away. And Peter had said, yeah, I'm pretty much ready to throw in this towel. <laughs> I'm like done. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. This has been a lot, Jesus. So I'm, I'm kind of done in this moment. We wouldn't expect that. It's like our, our students maybe that are going to college and, and maybe somebody comes and says, hey, you know what? When you are away from your mama and daddy at home and you find yourself in the midst of all kinds of other people, you're going to be tempted in so many ways. And we don't want to hear them go, 
You're probably right, and I'm going to throw this thing away. That's not the attitude that we want him to have, but there's something about Peter that makes him different, right? None of us have that moment where we're looking and saying, hey, I'm I'm probably going to do that. I'm probably just going to give up this deal. That's not the attitude that we're looking for. But the truth is that all of us find ourselves in moments that we are not prepared for, in temptation that is greater than even our strongest moments, that even what we have in our own uh, flesh in strength. And Peter responds in a way that only maybe Peter could. And Peter was overconfident in his strength. And see, that's where we mess up. He was overconfident. He said, the rest of these boys maybe, but not me. And he was looking at these others, and he's, he's, he's got that arrogance about him, right? He says, it's, yeah, these guys, I can see it, Jesus. I, I, I kind of picture they probably would. Not me, though. It's been said that the best of men are men at best. I don't know where that originated from, but he said the best of men are men at best. A.W. Pink said the most experienced saint, if left to himself, is immediately seen to be weak as water and as timid as a mouse. The most experienced saint, if left to himself, apart from God's grace and his empowering spirit, that we are weak as water and timid as a mouse. I love in John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me. And he said, you're going to bear much fruit. But he said, apart from me. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he says, apart from me. He says, you can do nothing. But the reality is in our own strength and arrogance, sometimes we think, you know what, in my strength, oh yeah, yeah, maybe for the rest of the people, but I'm I'm able to, I, I, can, I can navigate this. I can get through this. Jesus responds and says to Peter, he said, truly, in verse 34, I say to you that this very night, he said, by the way, Peter, tonight, he said, this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I want to fast forward in that same chapter on down to verse 69, and we're going to read verse 69 through 75, and I want you to see what happens, and I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's, and maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've had uh, this sense that I'm going to be able to walk through this temptation or this situation, and I'm going to do it in my strength, and I'm going to get through this, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a mess. And Peter was sitting, Scripture says in verse 39, outside in the courtyard. Jesus has uh, been arrested. We see uh, Peter uh, is sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. And look at what Peter did. But he denied it before them all, saying, not me. I don't know know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. So Scripture says that when he'd gone out the gateway, another servant girl saw him. Now, this is the least threatening person in the whole world, right? It's the kind of picture that we want you to get right here. The, the least amount of power, the least amount of pressure, the least amount of anything, right? It's this servant girl, and, and, and another servant girl saw him and said to those that were there, this man right here, Peter, that's him. He, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. That, that guy was. And and again, Peter's like, oh, no, no, uh-uh, I, I swear on the things of heaven. I make an oath before everyone. I do not know that Galilee. Never seen him before. I've, I've heard of him, but I don't know. Peter says, this scripture says he denied it with an oath, and he said, I don't know that man. I have no idea. I don't know. A little later, bystanders come up to Peter and say, surely you are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. 
And then scripture says that Peter began to cuss and swear and says, I do not know the man. Boy, we think that we are strong in our own strength. But here is Peter, the man that we think of, the one that, well, that said, I'll leave everything. I'll leave my family business. I'll leave all those things, and I will follow Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll leave, immediately leave my nets. I, I, I'm willing to uh, go at your command. And here he is. I do not know the man. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment? Everything is falling before him. And he, Scripture says that he is, and he is weeping bitterly. And for most of us, that would have been the end right there. For most of us, Man, we would have just stopped. We would have quit. And this is the story that I remember when I think of Peter. The story that began that sermon that night. The story of a man that denied Jesus. A story of a man who I think uh, really wanted to keep the promises that he made that night. That, but he overestimated his own strength. He overestimated uh, what he was able to do. And he was not as strong as he thought. See, Satan is very good at reminding us of our failures. He is very good at reminding us of all the places that we uh, had failed him. I knew all of my past. I knew all of my failures. I knew my weaknesses, my unworthiness. I knew uh, all the potential that laid within me. I knew. See, because you know who you really are. You know uh, the, the, the thoughts that can come through your mind. You know uh, all the things that you would not want to be published all over the newspaper. All those things you know about those, and Satan loves to remind us of those things. And he wants us to ask a question, how in the world could God use someone like me? See, I'm convinced that followers of Jesus many times are paralyzed from preaching the gospel, are paralyzed from sharing the good news and engaging on mission for the glory of Christ because Satan has convinced them that they are too far gone, that God could not use someone like them. We all can pick on Peter for denying Jesus. We can have those moments where we think, you know what, I, man, I can't believe he did that, but most likely every one of us have felt the feeling of hypocrisy, right? The feeling of not living up to the life of a Jesus follower, of knowing, man, that we are commanded to stand firm, that we are commanded uh, to walk worthy of the calling, right? We may pray prayers for our students. We may pray prayers for ourselves. God, would you fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual understanding that we might walk worthy. And maybe we think those kind of things, and then all of a sudden, We've stumbled into a mess. Maybe all of a sudden we've gotten ourselves in a situation where we've had a stupid moment or we've had a situation in our life that we feel like and maybe has scarred our witness around those people, our witness at work, our, our, our witness at home, our witness in school, in church, wherever that's at. Maybe we've gotten angry and in a moment we've shared things that we look and say, oh, I would give anything to be able to get those words back, right? But we know that the Spirit 
spoken word, it doesn't come back, right? That it is out there and we are convicted over those things and we say, you know what? I wish that I could get those back, but I have good news for you today from the life of Peter and from my life that in Christ, that failure is never final, that God's grace, and we, I want you to hear this this morning, church, God's grace is greater than our failures. It's greater than our foolishness. It's greater than the message that we get into and God demonstrates his goodness. He demonstrates his grace as his people are restored through repentance and faith in Christ. He demonstrates his goodness to us is that, see, this was the secret. Here was a man who had denied Jesus, but a man that pins First Peter, a man that writes this verse, and I love this verse in First Peter, chapter number three, verse 15. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Man, and what a great verse. And then he says this, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Can you believe that the same Peter that denied Jesus, the same Peter that denied Jesus with the slave girl, the same Peter is pinning these words and he's encouraging us. He's writing to Christians. It's not Jews, it's not Gentiles. He's writing to Christians who are living as resident aliens. Right? He's, he's, he's writing to Christians who are not home yet, who are citizens of the kingdom of God and who find themselves in a culture that is violently opposed to all those things. He lands in that place. And then Peter writes to them, the man who denied Jesus, can you believe that he had the courage to write that kind of verse to say, always be ready? Because he had to think as he read, as he wrote those words, he had to think, man, I sure wasn't ready that day. I sure have failed so many times, but it's not our failure that shapes our future. It's not our failure that shapes our future. It's God's grace in our failures that shape our future. It's God's grace in the midst of our life, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the very rock bottom that maybe we can hit in some of those moments. It's in those moments. It's God's grace in our failures that shape our future. See, when we recognize our weakness, it prepares us for greatness in his kingdom. When we recognize how weak and frail that we are, it prepares us for greatness in the kingdom of God. When we recognize how weak we are, we are able to see how great that he is. See, that's the key. That's the way uh, a Peter goes from a failure uh, to uh, a man that proclaimed the word of God in incredible power. We see how strong he is. And if you are in the midst of a mess, maybe that's where you find yourself in today. Maybe you're watching uh, online. Maybe you're watching on Facebook right now in this moment, or maybe you're gathered here and you find yourself in the midst of a mess. I want to tell you that you are in the midst of a perfect place for God to do what only God can do. You you are in the perfect place for God to work because he works in incredible ways in the midst of our mess. And he takes our mess, right? And in Christ, scripture says that we've been uh, created for good works, right? It's Ephesians 2.10. He says, first of all, he said, you've been saved. And he said, it's by grace that you've been saved. Uh, that not of yourselves. It's by grace through faith. He said, it's not of works. It's not of anything you've done. He said, it's a gift of God. And then he says, for we're his workmanship, that's what the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, right? His masterpiece, his poeme, everything uh, he is working. In, and he, he's going to complete the work that he started, by the way. And he says that in Christ, those of us who are in Christ, that we've been saved by his grace, that we're his masterpiece, that he's chiseling away, that he's working, that he's doing incredible uh, things with. And he's created us for good works that have been laid since the foundation of time that we might walk in them. And, and we've got to look, quit looking at our past and our 
our failures and all those things, and we've got to look to a God who is greater than all of those things. He takes the least likely to be strong, and he makes them strong. He takes the one that denies him, and, and he gives them strength, and he equips them to a place that he would never deny, right? We see Peter walk in that. He uses Peter's denial to strengthen him into this powerful preacher that God uses as the church's birth. We see Peter be used by God in the most incredible ways and the greatest danger. I'm convinced the greatest danger that we might have is, is that we might rely in our own strength to get through this life, that we might rely in our own strength. See, our greatest strength is nothing compared to our greatest enemy. No matter how strong we think we are, no matter how, how equipped we think we are, our greatest strength is nothing compared to our greatest enemy. Satan would love nothing more than to find us leaning on our own strength, having our identity in what maybe we think that we are strong in. In our success, in lesser things, in, in anything that's not Christ. See, God desires our identity would be in Christ. And when we surrender our strengths, when we surrender, see, we think about surrendering our sin. We think about surrendering all these things that are broken, but God desires that we would surrender everything, every part of us, all of us, our strengths, our weaknesses, everything that's there. When we surrender our strengths, we are strengthened by his spirit for service to the Savior. And I believe this morning that Jesus is, I believe he is pursuing some of you in your failure. Jesus is meeting you exactly where you're at. And his desire is that your failure would be used as, as a, a place that your future is fortified, that, that you are strengthened for work that he is going to do. I had the blessing of, of speaking at Teen Challenge the other day, and as they were worshiping together, there was a beautiful moment that took place, and I was worshiping with these guys. There was something that stirred in my heart in an incredible way, and, and there, were, there was such a purity in their worship. I was sitting there and I was thinking, I said, these guys remember. They remember what it feels like to be lost. Do you remember that? And do you remember when God reached down in the, the mirror of your sin and depravity and, man, said, I love you even in that mess. Man, that's what's beautiful. See, our God is a God of, that puts love in action. Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, right, that God demonstrated his love toward us, that he showed us his love while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember what it's like to be lost? Do you remember what it's like to be restored in his grace and love after a failure, after the place that we have hit the bottom? Peter remembered that. Jesus rises from the grave. An angel at the empty tomb tells the women there, they say, go ahead. He said, I want you to go ahead and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. With those words, God's pursuit of Peter, his restoration of him begins. It's, it's incredible. Peter's failure was not final. God knew, by the way, of his failure before he ever called him to follow 
And we, we see God pick some of the most unlikely dudes to come together and proclaim the good news of the gospel. There was no plan B. He's like, I'm going to take these guys, I'm going to do life with them, and I'm going to send them out, and then I'm going to call some other ragtag disciples like you and I that are going to continue uh, this work, and they're going to be unworthy and unable, and they're going to be messes, and they're going to be all that, and I'm going to equip them, and I'm going to empower them with my spirit, and I'm going to use them to shake this world for the glory of God. Uh, Man, just incredible. Verse chapter 22 of, of Luke's gospel, we see this interaction. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan would love nothing more, man, than to sift every one of us like wheat. But Jesus says something. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, listen, Peter, he said, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat, but he said, I want you to know something. I've prayed for you. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? Did you know that Jesus has prayed for every one of us? We read in John 17, this beautiful interaction, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to I'm not going to try to read uh, too much from there, but uh, I love that passage, and Jesus says, you know, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, you know, I don't want you to take them out of the world. He said, I want you to send them in. But he, he said, I want to take them out. But he said, I want you to protect them from the evil one. He says, I, he said, these people, they're, they're, they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. He said, I want you to sanctify them. He said, I want you to work in their lives. He said, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, you know what? I don't ask just for these alone, for these disciples. He said, I ask for all those who would believe in me through their word. Jesus has been praying for you. In John's gospel, there's a beautiful interchange, and I'm going to close with this, this story. Hang in here with me. It's, it's too good to stop. But he says, after sharing breakfast beside an open fire, right, we see this, this picture that, that Jesus has shared breakfast with his disciples by an open fire. And the Scripture tells us that in this moment that all of a sudden his attention shifts, and he focuses his attention on Peter. And in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon? Son of John, do you love me more than these? Isn't that an interesting question for a moment like this for the guy that had denied him? He says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Now, Jesus uses the word agapeo, right? He uses this word for unconditional love. And he says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally like that. And Peter responds and he says, Lord, you know I love you. But he uses the word phileo and he uses this word that's for brotherly love. And he says, hey, and he said, you know, I, I love you. He said, do you love me unconditionally, Peter? He goes on again and he uses this same kind of wording. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it's that same kind of word. It's that unconditional love. Jesus says, do you love me? Agopping love this unconditional, this, this sacrificial love. And Peter responds and says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says it in this phileo love. He says, you know, I love you this. I care for you. I love you. And he says, shepherd my sheep. And he says to him a third time. And it's interesting this time, if you look at the wording in John's gospel, we see it recorded. Jesus says, do you phileo me? He said, do you love me? Instead of the first way where he, he was at, he, he met Peter where he was at in those moments. And no longer was Peter this arrogant disciple who was saying, you know what? 
I've got superior devotion to all of them. And he says, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, Lord, I'm not careful. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna boast in anything. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna claim this place of superiority. He says, Do you love me more than these? And Peter's humble. Man, Peter says, You know what? I love you, but I'm not making any any bold uh, professions. He says, You know that I love you. Verse 17, he says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And he met Peter right where he was at. And after being restored by the resurrected Christ, we see Peter with a boldness that was not by his own strength. It was a boldness that was only from the power of God, from the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he was used mightily by God. Can I encourage you this morning that your failure is not final? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what things that have been in each of our past, but I want to tell you that our failure is not final, but it is a place that God can fully lead you to surrender. It's a place that God uh, can use to prepare you for service for him. He's not looking for boastful words. He wasn't looking for Peter. I don't believe in those moments to be boastful and arrogant, but Peter had recognized his weakness. He was not looking for that, but he was looking for a people that would put love in action, and Peter demonstrated his love for God. His arrogance with his speech was not there in that interaction, but he demonstrated his love for the Lord by his preaching, by his suffering. Uh, even as he was killed for his faith, his church tradition uh, tells us that he was crucified upside down. Peter said, you know what? I love you. I'm not going to say it with my word. I'm not going to boastfully say I'm more arrogant than all the rest of these people. I'm not going to go in those directions, but Peter says, I love you, and I'm going to demonstrate it with my life. And I think Jesus is asking each one of us, do you love me? Do you love me? It's that simple. And he says, if you do, then walk in obedience. If you do, then put love in action. You're living in the midst of a crazy culture. Surrender your strength. Even the things and the places where you think you are strong in your own right. We see in the life of Peter that even those places we are weak. Surrender your strengths. Respond in repentance. and Be restored by his grace takes broken people just like me and just like you. And he says, you know what? In my grace, you can be restored. And the reality is that none of us measure up, that none of us are worthy, that none of us are good. None of us are good enough in our own strength, in our own ways to be saved, to be in the presence of God, to be used by him. But in Christ, God takes our failures. He takes our brokenness. He covers us in his love and his grace. When we respond in repentance, and the call this morning is, do you love me? And I pray that we will respond, yes, Jesus, you know my heart, because he knows the heart of every person here, and that we might respond and say, I love you, and that we might demonstrate it in the way that we live, that we might demonstrate it in our obedience to him, in our surrender, in our dependence. I want to close us just in a time of prayer. I want to invite maybe the band to come, and we might worship together as we close. And maybe God is speaking to someone this morning. Maybe you've never trusted Christ, and you've and just been 
wrecked by your past, by the things that are in your life, and you think, you know what? God couldn't love me. He couldn't save me. He couldn't work in my life. I want you to know that, and you are never too far from his grace, that there's, by the way, there's nothing that you could do that would cause him to love you anymore. He loves you. Scripture says that while he was, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us, that there's nothing that we could do that would cause him to love us anymore. And there's nothing that we could do that would cause him to love us any less. We have that agape love, that unconditional love that is demonstrated by on the cross of Christ. And if you've never trusted him, and the call is to surrender, it's repentance and surrender. That's how we come to faith in Christ. We say, you know what, I've gone my own way and I, God, I'm broken and I'm a mess, Lord, but I pray you would forgive me, Lord. I don't want to go that direction anymore. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. And we surrender. We say, God, here I am. My life is yours. I do whatever you want. I will follow you, Lord, and he will transform us from the inside out. He will take our brokenness and he'll make us new. Maybe you're here and you're a believer. You've been following Christ and Satan continues to whisper about your past. Say you're unfit to be used by the king because of things that have happened in your life. I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. He's pursuing you. He desires to meet you right where you're at. And over that charcoal fire, he looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. We respond with a heart that's just abandoned that says, God, I love you. And he lavishes his grace on us. He empowers us with his spirit. And he gives us strength, not in our own strength, but in his, to serve him, to follow him, to be used by him. I want to pray for us and respond as you feel the Lord leads you. Father, we're grateful. God, we thank you for your amazing grace, Lord, for your love. God, there's nothing good in me. Lord, I thank you for this picture of Peter. and Lord, how even though he denied Jesus, God, you used him in an incredible way. God, our failure is not final, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know you, God, that they would call on your name this morning. God, that they would surrender their lives to you. God, they would believe and trust you. God, they would receive forgiveness and grace. And Lord, I pray for just Christians that are gathered here, Lord. Those that are watching online. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bind up the enemy. Lord, that you would take the lies that Satan whispers and tries to render us ineffective in our witness, ineffective in our ability to, to walk. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bind up Satan. And God, you would speak to us with truth from your word. God, truth that if we confess our sin, Lord, that you're faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, to fill us with your spirit to guide us, to come, to give us wisdom. Lord, I pray you'll meet us right where we're at, just as you did, Peter. And God, in your loving grace, Lord, that you would restore us. God, that you would whisper into every heart 
Do you love me? And our response could be action. And our response could be abandonment. Our response could be surrender of every part of our lives to your will, to your desire. And God, may you be glorified in all that we do because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we just worship? If God speaks to your heart, if I can pray with you, if there's anything we can come alongside you, and we want to do that, but his grace is sufficient.